You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since Episode 3, Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Welcome everybody, this is the Samurai. And I'm Big Willie. Alright, back for another episode, feels good. Uh, let's see what we got here, we got a few things to bring up. Uh, let me go ahead and uh, bring the music all the way down because I know the Het likes that, so I'm going to bring it all the way down now. <laughs> Alright, so let's see, we got a couple announcements to make, I'll go ahead and kick it over to you for the uh, first announcement there, Will. Okay, this is actually something that, it's funny, it's something I'm really, well, both of us are really excited to uh, be able to announce. Um, we've been in conversation with uh, Stefan, a.k.a. Mike Woods from Pickled Embryo and the Grand Poobah of Pop Syndicate, <laughs> and he has cordially invited us to have our own little corner on the Pop Syndicate forums. Um, and it's funny, because I remember when you and I first started talking about doing a show, we'd sort of uh, sit there and... and daydream in a sense saying wouldn't it be nice if one day we could be on pop syndicate too yes and there was little and harps playing too right before the dream sequence and the wavy camera movement and stuff and there were cute little cherubs running around it was it yes. was quite the sight um <laughs> and uh, yeah i'm happy to say that he uh, he invited us and i really i think it's an honor you know for us because stefan's show pickled embryo was basically the the grandfather of of the shows we listen to and for him to say he digs our show and he wants us to be part of the uh, pop syndicate scene is a big honor. Um, there's something I'm going to do for Pop Syndicate, actually, a, a film review, and I want to get that done. And as a gentleman, I want to keep up my end of the word. So I'm going to get this review done in the next day or two. Um, well, by the time you guys hear this, maybe the review will be done. And we'll be on the boards probably, I would imagine, within a week. I don't know exactly what's involved with it because I'm not one for the sciences, but um, we should be up there soon. Cool. We'll have uh, admin privileges, which is uh, pretty cool. I always wanted to be an administrator. <laughs> <laughs> Always wanted to be an administrator. Yeah, I know. I was always envious of those administrators. Yes, yes. They can pull down uh, threads that they don't uh, want anybody to see, which there's been quite a few things that sometimes I have posted and I wish I could take back. Well, actually, I could take back. There's been some, some things I have taken back, actually, on the other board. So <laughs> that's the good thing about the edit button. But now I can take a whole thread down. Yep. In one fell swoop. <laughs> well, they got that announcement. And then also we're going to announce that uh, what we'd like to do is... Uh, I know a lot of people probably heard recently that uh, the great Paul Newman has passed away. Paul Newman didn't do a whole lot of genre movies, but he did do a few. And uh, we would like to do a bonus episode here in the next couple of weeks of uh, Paul Newman material. Uh, right now we're leaning toward... Uh 
uh, Fort Apache, the Bronx, and uh, Slapshot. But we'd be uh, willing to cover anything else anybody might want to want us to cover, or there might be something somebody else you know wants us to cover. So you know, if you guys uh, want to send us emails or voicemails or anything else, we'll definitely take your considerations into consideration. It would be. Uh, I think that you know Newman deserves his own show. He, like I say, he didn't do a whole lot of genre stuff, but uh, he did do some really great stuff. I mean, Cool Hand Luke's out there. Uh, there's a really good western called HUD out there. Uh, you know, The Hustler's great uh, with a great performance by George C. Scott. If anybody hasn't seen The Hustler and they don't know what I'm talking about, check out The Hustler and see George C. Scott, and it's insane. Uh, the the you know scenery chewing is the only you know the way George C. Scott can do it. So you can imagine it gets it gets pretty intense. Yeah, and if I just can interject for a moment, I think you know you and I, and I would say most people are film fans before they're even genre film fans. And to ignore, I guess the the impact and and the presence of someone uh, like Paul Newman, I think you know we we really it's we kind of owe it to ourselves as fans of film in general to do something like this. So. Yeah, I mean, he was such an icon, and it's it's something I know you and I were both excited to do our little part to to pay tribute to such a, a great uh, film icon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we mean you both love the tough guy movies, and uh, he made a few tough guy movies. I mean, you know, as far as genre movies go, that's about as genre as it gets. I mean, westerns and tough guy movies. He really didn't go, you know, into the uh, supernatural at all that I'm aware of, and I don't think he, uh, you know, went into any. Uh, horror films or anything like that so it would have to be those kind of genres but uh you know that's what this show's for we cover those kinds of things so it would be pretty cool so if anybody wants to you know throw in their two cents is what we might cover you know you can send an email over to uh, midnight cinema gmail.com it's midnight m-i-d-n-i-t-e cinema gmail.com and uh our voicemail number 206-666-5207 you can send a voicemail over there if you uh have a few things to add and everything. So, okay, that's about all I got for the opening. I do want to announce that, uh, you know, last week we kind of teased and everything else. I want to go ahead and announce this, that what we're going to do is once a month, we're not going to have any drawings or anything like that, but once a month what we're going to do is we're going to let listeners pick the content of the show. Uh, now that we can announce the boards and everything else, it'll be easier to do this. Now, it won't be right away, but as soon as we get the boards up and running and everything else, we're going to have it where, you know, listeners, uh, we still haven't figured out how we're going to do it, but we're going to figure out a way to uh, at least once a month have a listener uh, pick the content which is a lot of fun for us because they might turn me and willie on to stuff that we haven't seen i know that uh, there's quite a few people out there uh, one example i can think of in an email we'll talk about later is because one of the films we're covering today is uh, stone cold the brian bosworth uh, semi-classic i guess we can call it that uh oh, it's a classic <laughs> there's no semi about it <laughs> yeah. They, I know that uh, Naked Eskimo uh, said something about a movie called One Tough Bastard, I think he made, after Stone Cold, which I never saw because Stone Cold was kind of a bomb, and uh, you know his movies pretty much went straight to video after that. So there you go, and it's a, it's a situation where, like, you know, if he was to say, you know, he if he won the uh, little deal that he would say, hey, cover One Tough Bastard, and I'd be, like, totally, you know, hip to that because uh, I just said hip to that. I can't believe I said that. Maybe I need to edit that out. Anyway. Uh, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls or something. Yo, guys, it's hip. <laughs> it's hip, cats. You know, that would be that would be a cool movie to cover, and I never even thought about covering it because, to be honest with you, I knew the movie was out there, but I just I never even crossed my mind until I read the email from Nick and Eskimo, which we'll hear more from later. So, Other than that, that's about all I got, man. I mean, that's uh, pretty much for the opening announcements and everything. You got anything else? Uh, anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, it actually is kind of tied in with what you were talking about with um, 
with, uh, I was going to say viewers, I almost fell into that pitfall, uh, with listeners picking content. And in fact, when, we, when I introduce the next film we're going to cover, I'll touch on that a little bit further. So I'll save what I was going to say for uh, my intro for the movie. I'll go ahead and say it. we are covering today Raiders of Atlantis uh, from uh, Ruggiero Diodato. I hope I said that right. Uh, did I? Yeah, R- Ruggiero Diodato. Oh, Ruggiero. There you go. Uh, you know, <laughs> Reggie. Let's just call him Reggie. Reggie Diodato. Reggie. <laughs> Randy and we're D. covering uh, yeah, Stone Cold from uh, Craig Baxley. This should be a lot of fun. These two movies are definitely a lot of fun. So we'll see what we got. So I'll go, we'll go ahead and go to our first break now. What's up, everybody? This is Bill from Outside the Cinema, and I'm sitting here with the one and only Arnold Schwarzenegger. How are you, Arnold? Good morning. Thank you for taking the time to join me. We were just talking about how much you enjoy Outside the Cinema. Is that correct? Yeah. It's your favorite show, right? Yeah. So if you were going to choose one podcast to listen to, it would be Outside the Cinema, wouldn't it? Come on. Don't bullshit me. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop it. You don't need to be like that. Stop whining. I'm not whining. Whatever your name is, get ready for the big surprise. Oh, enough of this. Who are you? What you just heard was the reason why Outside the Cinema doesn't do pre-recorded bits. Because they do them terribly. But if you like horror, exploitation, cult, and underground cinema, believe it or not, though, they put together a pretty good show. So head over to www.outsidethecinema.com and take a listen to the show today. Guys, we're back. Little uh, darkness there. Song called, uh, well, song called appropriately titled "Knockers." So, uh, <laughs> a lot of fun. Definitely uh, some high notes hit there. Let's say that one more time. Hang on. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, there we go. A little cock rock again. So, good stuff. All right. So our first film is Raiders of Atlantis. Uh, well, since you picked this film, I'll let you go ahead and uh, talk about it and synopsize and everything else, and then we'll see what happens. Uh, Raiders of Atlantis was released in uh, November of 1983, and the world would never be the same. <laughs> um, it's not under a few other titles, as most Italian films are. It's uh, known simply as Atlantis in uh, the rest of Europe, Atlantis Inferno, the Atlantis Interceptors, which actually I believe is the title on the film... Uh, for the print that I have, yes, and of course Raiders of Atlantis, which I imagine was capitalizing on a certain fedora-wearing, bullwhip-cracking uh, phenomenon in film I, at the time. 
I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, it escapes me. But ironically, <laughs> they were the first ones with the crystal skull, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, I'm going to give you guys a synopsis that, rather shockingly, was a really good one I found um, on IMDb, which can be a bit of a pitfall. Team of scientists working to raise a sunken Russian nuclear submarine on an ocean platform off the coast of Miami, Florida, unearth an ancient Atlantean relic from the seafloor and bring in an expert to make some sense of it. But while attempting to raise the sub, radioactive leakage from its missiles triggers the reemergence of Atlantis, and the resulting tidal wave destroys the platform and leaves only a small group of survivors. Rescued by two Vietnam vets turned heavies who are out relaxing after their latest job, their boat eventually runs aground on a Caribbean island nearby, where upon going ashore, it's discovered that everything has been destroyed and everybody killed. The culprits, a vicious group of well-armed raiders, and their leader, Crystal Skull, are descendants of Atlantis's original race who set about reclaiming the world and adding the survivors to the list of victims as they struggle to stay alive and defeat the raiders and send Atlantis back to the ocean floor. <laughs> so that's um, that probably describes the movie better than the movie itself describes itself, but um, we'll get into that. I First of all, before we even get into the film... I want to send a very big thank you to Hans on the Pop Syndicate boards because a long time ago I had posted a thread called uh, tra- Cinema Diabolic, a trailer dump or something to that effect where all of us could post trailers from older movies or newer movies and sort of expose everyone else to them. And Hans posted this trailer to this film and from the moment I watched this trailer I knew I absolutely had to track this down and luckily enough i was able to and when we get to the end of the show i'll explain uh, or we'll talk to you guys about how you can track it down um but i just want to send a big thank you again to hans for uh opening my eyes to the wonders of raiders of atlantis <laughs> so with that being said uh, since i picked this uh, i want to kick it over to you samurai and let me know what you thought of this film all right raiders of atlantis okay so I, i'd seen the trailer on uh dot com at the uh, forums and everything the cinema diabolical forums i'd seen the trailer and everything else it looked like a lot of you know a lot of fun and everything the, the kind of stuff that i enjoy the post-apocalyptic stuff and and things and stuff stuff like that but i had no idea that i was going to have as much fun as i had with this movie this film is nowhere near a masterpiece it's nowhere it's <laughs> To say it, it's such uh, would be uh, blasphemy to all other films, but you will not have. I don't think you can have more fun with a B movie than you uh, than you can have with this one. This one, uh, well, I mean, just to give you an example, and I know we've talked about this. The first note I have on my my little uh, notepad here is uh, what me and you talked about, and the first uh, I don't know six or seven words on here is this thing wastes no fucking time at all. From the get-go, yeah. you have an, uh, uh, an intro and everything else, and bam, you're right in. Nothing's ever explained. As a matter of fact, I didn't even know these guys were Vietnam vets until you just told me just now. I didn't know until I told you just now. <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, they are two of the most efficient action heroes I've ever seen before in my life. And not only that, but Chris Conley, the star, he does this with a 1980s skinny tie on. In now the let me add to let me add to the skinny tie because he it's a white leather skinny tie and once you had mentioned <laughs> that to me when I rewatched it he's also wearing a white members only jacket which you know right there right there that's gold the members only jacket that that tells you everything you need to know about this movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah they waste no time at all these guys are the most efficient uh, to I guess they're doing a kidnapping in the beginning of this movie I'm guessing it's a kidnapping it's something they're they're so efficient it's ridiculous I I don't. I'm still trying to figure out for the life of me. Maybe this is just me. They knock a couple guys out. I'm not giving anything away about the story here. And uh, spoilers are not even really... uh, I mean, 
basically the synopsis tells you the whole movie. So there's no spoilers here. They shoot some guys or they knock some guys out at the front of this house they're breaking into and every and all this stuff. And then they and then all of a sudden they decide to use a rope and a and a what is it, a hook of some kind and go up. Why didn't they just go through the front door? I guess um <laughs> seeing as how Washington or Muhammad yeah. was sort of on guard outside. Mike found it easier to put the body in a bag and repel it from the top floor down to the ground to Mike instead of carrying it down all those stairs. And I guess getting back to your, your note about efficiency, that was an, an efficient move, if nothing else. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. It's crazy. I've never been. I've never seen a movie where they repel an unconscious body down in a bag <laughs> on a rope. <laughs> And, you know, the whole time I'm thinking, well, nobody's coming out of the bottom, so I'm assuming nobody was downstairs. They could have just walked in and taken this guy at this point. So, I, I don't know. But, I mean, that's the kind of mood this movie sets. This movie, if you if you like logic, if you like uh, your stories to be very, I don't know, very deep or anything else, then this is not your movie. If you just love movies and you love the silliness of, uh, you know, kind of, uh, kind of a camp genre film, uh, this is right up your alley. And I'm, when I say right up your alley, I mean, this will be... After you see this, this will be at the top of your genre movie, uh, you know, the kind of movies you want to show your friends and everything. Uh, this is definitely one of those movies. I mean, I will be showing this to my brother as soon as possible, as soon as he comes by sometime, or some of my other friends when they come by. Uh, this movie will definitely be put in, because uh, this one is one of those movies to sit around and watch with the guys, and you will have a fucking blast. I mean, this is a lot of fun. I'll go over some of the other notes. I, I mean, like I say, this, this movie knows what it is. It's very lean. There is no fat in this movie whatsoever. There is no exposition of character. There is there's no character development whatsoever. Uh, the bad guys just kind of pop up. The Atlanteans, I guess, is what they, you would call them. They just kind of pop up out of nowhere. I, I really don't. Und- I really don't know. Uh, I mean, obviously, the sub comes up, and the radioactivity causes Atlantis to come up, and what has to be the most convincing model shot I've ever seen. Uh, Harry Housen was brought to tears when he saw the beauty of that. Yes, and I, and I can see where you know Peter Jackson gets a lot of his model work now because this <laughs> this is stunning. <laughs> They have a uh, what a snow globe for Atlantis, basically that they just crack open yeah. <laughs> while they're running faucet water over it yeah, in the bathtub. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what it looks like, and I mean that's the kind of movie this is, you know. And and I, I was just laughing and having a great time the whole time I was watching it. There is a shot in the movie. There's a helicopter shot. Now our, our two heroes, I guess they're heroes. They they you know get them some money, so they decide to go out. And, you know, they get like $25,000 or something like that. I can't remember what it is. So they're riding around on their boat, and, you know, they're having a good time and everything. Uh, they can't even get their own beer. They're sharing a beer in a can, which is kind of creepy and uh, kind of homoerotic when I think about it. I mean, you know, these guys just got twenty five grand. they are sharing one beer. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of strange. But then there's this helicopter that starts flying around. And then for the next, I guess, five to eight minutes, you get shots of a helicopter flying around a boat and a couple actors looking up at it and pointing. <laughs> And it's 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 a great shot. I mean, it it it's as as silly as it sounds. It's a lot of fun to watch this helicopter fly around this boat for about the next. Well, it probably isn't eight minutes, but it felt like eight minutes. And they just keep flying around and around, and the two guys on the boat keep pointing at it like silent film actors. And then it goes back to the helicopter, and they're flying around again. And then it goes back down to the guy or look down at the guys, and they're pointing like, "Hey, man, what what are you doing, man? What are you doing?" And it's just it's just plain silly, but a lot of fun. Uh, Chris Conley, who stars in this movie, I'm really not very familiar with anything. I know he did a lot of Italian stuff and a lot of TV. I know he did a lot of TV. Uh, I'd be, I know he 
unfortunately passed away at a young age. I know he was only uh, 47. He died of cancer. Uh, but I'm still not. This is probably the first film I remember him. Well, this is the first film I've ever seen him in. I have seen him in TV stuff before because I remember his voice and his kind of uh, mop he has for a hair. He's actually pretty solid in this, though. He doesn't look like an action hero, but he actually pulls it off pretty well. Yeah, you know, it's funny he does because he does not look like an action hero. He looks like he's closer to mid, well, I don't know, maybe not mid-50s, but definitely late 40s, early 50s. He's not uh, built like your your conventional 80s uh, action hero. But yeah, like you said, somehow, whether it's through sheer will or what it is, he, he pulls it off quite well. Yeah, I mean, he was convincing the whole time. And I thought, uh, I saw this guy and I thought, oh, this guy's not going to be a very convincing action star. This isn't going to be, this is going to be kind of silly. But no, he pulls it off just fine. And his uh, partner, I, I can't remember the actor's name. Do you remember the actor's name? Uh, yeah, it's Tony King. Tony King, who we talked about a little bit, has been in some other stuff, some black exploitation films and things like. He, you know, he graduated from obviously from the school of overacting, and uh, you know, he, he but he carries it pretty well and stuff. Uh, he fires a gun like, uh, well, I don't even know how to describe it. I was gonna say, I think you put it rather succinctly when you said he, along with most of the cast, fire guns like eight-year-olds. Yes. I mean, if if you got a plastic gun and you're playing with your buddies, and this is taking us back because, you know, when we were kids probably that, uh, you know, you could play with plastic guns and shoot guns and things like that. Nowadays, like you say, you can't get a hold of them anymore. You know, when you shot a gun, you, it's like you were throwing the bullets. You know, you were taking the gun and you were, you know, raising it up and bang, 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 and you were shooting it and throwing it. These guys have blanks. It's obvious. They're coming, you know, flames are, you know, a little bit of sparks coming out of the front of the barrel of the gun. But you would think that they're just throwing these bullets because the way he shoots the gun, especially Tony King, is, is it looks like he's trying to throw bullets at everybody he sees. And he has one of the best lines of dialogue in the movie when he when another character uh, gets shot and he just, uh, I think he says, don't leave me in this hell alone. Yeah. <laughs> and he just screams it to the to the gods. You know, uh, so yeah. <laughs> uh, it's one of the better scenes in the movie. Uh, let's um, yeah, I would love to talk about the Atlanteans. Um, <laughs> the Atlanteans basically look like they're all extras from a Mad Max-inspired porno film. Um, <laughs> and as Hans, getting back to Hans from what pointed out, they're driving Danny Zuko from Grease's car. Not yes. to mention uh, all style of dirt bikes and motorbikes, uh, some of which have fins, studs. One of the bikes even has moose antlers on the front of it. That is awesome. Uh, we see mohawks, fauxhawks, shaved heads. We see kabuki theater style makeup. We see just your standard uh, sports black paint under the eyes makeup. We see S&M leather. I mean, we really see it all in terms of their, their costumes and their look. I mean, their leader... Crystal Skull, or as you call him, Plastic Skull. Uh, he has this this awesome, I believe it's a prod, some sort of a leather prod that he just kind of lowers ever so slightly when he wants the Atlanteans to set out uh, uh, on some kick-assery. Yeah, and he um, constantly beats it into his palm as if to say, I'm a badass, <laughs> check out my prod. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, I mean, they're great in this. I mean, they, they just seem to have never-ending numbers. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of the weapons they use. Oh, the weapons. Uh, we got with the Atlanteans primarily, but uh, some of these with the our good guys, our heroes. We got flaming crossbows. We have gas dart crossbows, shotguns, rifles, machine guns, Molotov cocktails, Pistols, mm -hmm. broadswords, samurai swords, hammers, <laughs> baseball bats. A guy doing his best Robert Ginty impression with a flamethrower in hand. Mm -hmm. um, bazookas, grenades, nuclear missiles, which thankfully, due to um, 
a character don't get fired, a bamboo spear trap that our hero Mike calls the confidence builder, and the cherry on top, lasers. <laughs> oh, yes, the lasers. I mean, yeah, I don't know what more to say about these guys. I mean, you know, the, their look and then the, the sheer amount of and diversity of weapons is, uh, is very impressive. And, oh, one more thing I do want to mention. Whenever one of them gets killed, they always let out this kind of echoey scream that gets progressively higher. It's like, ah, 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 but it goes way yes. higher than that. Yes, that, I guess that was to decipher maybe for audiences who the bad guy and who the good guy is because there's so many people flying around and getting shot in this film uh and if as if the clothes would not give it away enough uh the costumes i should say uh every time that an atlantean gets shot the the they turn the reverb way up on the uh sound effects and you get a ah or some kind of crazy noise like that <laughs> and it's pretty great i mean the first time i heard it i kind of laughed but the rest of the time i heard it i was just like overjoyed i couldn't wait to hear it again yeah it's like a drink that'd be a good drinking game Oh man, you'd be wasted because there's there's a ton of people getting shot in this movie. You would have alcohol poisoning. (laughs) I really don't have any more to talk about other than that. You want to talk about uh, Diodato a little bit, maybe? Because I didn't really talk about him. I think Uh, some of the people listening to the show will be familiar with Diodato. Yeah, I I certainly would be glad to. Um, I just want to talk about a few more things about the film itself, though, before I get into Mr. Diodato. Uh, It's a great, in my opinion, a great score by Oliver Onions, uh, a.k.a. Maurizio and Guido Mm -hmm. D'Angelis. The D'Angelo brothers, uh, always, in my opinion, or generally speaking, uh, I've always loved their scores, and this, of course, is no exception. Um, I actually loved this theme music in this movie so much that I wanted to use it for our show, (laughs) Um, But I couldn't find it, and it was probably, in hindsight, a little too disco synth for the general audience. Um, But, I mean, these guys have done so many awesome scores. They did Torso, they did some Trinity films, uh, Street Law, Violent Professionals with Luke Miranda, Violent City with uh, Mr. Bronson, Crime Busters, Death Death Rage, the Yul Brenner film, uh, The Big Racket. They did Kioma. I mean, they've got probably about 150... Uh, credits to their name and they put out a lot of good stuff so again i like their score it was very of the times very 80s early 80s synthy disco-y uh, so i really liked it a lot yeah yeah it's very good um i like dr robin i can't remember what her first name was it was uh kathy no Ro- rollins dr kathy rollins was her name yeah yeah because uh, he kept was... saying kathy kathy yeah <laughs> it's like if anyone's watched lost it's like walt when uh when michael's <laughs> yelling for walt just kathy this kathy that uh, she was she was quite the fox, so it's it's always nice to have that in it. Uh, yeah, she had great Hilton. she had great eyes. Oh, by she the way, did. Before you get into George Hilton, she had great eyes. Oh, you know she did great eyes, great hair. She was a very good looking woman. Her she's actually played by a woman named Joya Scola, and she's done some stuff. She was actually uh, the cobweb creature leader in Lucio Fulci's Swords and Sandals film Conquest. Uh, she has some, you know, she has a fair bit of stuff to her name. As for George Hilton, uh, it was funny in this. He's kind of doing his best Dilton Doily, uh, push up the glasses, nerd scientist impression, right. and it's it's sort of odd for me because I'm used to him being a little more suave, a little bit more macho playboy, and uh, so it was a little bit odd to see him kind of with the floods on and the the Coke bottle glasses. But I mean, you know what? He was pretty convincing in it. Yeah, I thought yeah he was definitely good. Uh, There's a great line from Mike actually when he's hitting on. Uh, Kathy, when she's looking at this this tablet that she's been brought on board to kind of decipher its meaning, and you and I were talking about this this tablet almost it's supposed to be this stone ancient stone tablet, and essentially 
it looks like it's made from that hard foam that Halloween tombstones are made from. <laughs> so, so he comes in and asks her what she's doing. And she goes, oh, you wouldn't be interested. Uh, and he goes, oh, so all sailors are like Pope. All we know is spinach. And she replies, I like spinach too. <laughs> and of course, being the kitty hound that Mike is, he replies that he'll take her out for a nice spinach dinner when this is all over. Yeah, that, that, that's the got to be the most romantic scene I think I've ever seen. <laughs> it is. It's epic. Uh, yeah, it's, it's first class. A spinach uh, dinner. A spinach dinner. <laughs> There's only so many ways you can do spinach, people. I mean, I can't see it being all that savory, but that aside. Uh, yeah, well, you were talking about the uh, the miniatures and so forth. It's funny, they use some stock storm footage in this film that I think must be shared amongst B-movie directors because I swore, I can swear that there's identical footage in that. The storm footage in this is footage I saw in a Santos movie. Uh, Santos, the Mexican wrestler, uh, the luchador. <laughs> called Mystery in Bermuda, when a storm kicks up, and I swear it's the exact same footage. So I thought that was kind of amusing. There's a priest in this film. I, I can't remember what his name is. Father, I can't remember what his name is. I think they call him but Frank, they, don't they? Father Frank, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, they arrive on the island uh, where the Atlanteans are taking up residence, and there's kind of smoke swirling around. There's bodies strewn all over the island. Some of them are hung up, and they start to hear this record skipping over and over and over. <laughs> until our hero Mike goes into an abandoned bar and sees it's a body of a girl who's been hung and her feet are hitting the jukebox over and over and over. Um, right after that, the Atlanteans show up and Father Mike decides that he's going to go out and plea for mercy and, and reason with the Atlanteans. And of course, there's no reasoning with the Atlanteans. He promptly gets a spiked baseball bat to the gut and an axe to the face. Yes. So I thought that was... Uh, kind of interesting. I mean, we're treated to some great decapitations in this film, one via copper wire, while the the uh, one of the Atlanteans is riding a motorcycle. Um, I mean, there's tons of explosions in this film. Uh, I mean, there's a great scene with the, the, the red bus that they're in. They're driving this red bus. and uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I forgot all about that. There's some really good stunt work there. Yeah, no, there, there definitely was, because you can see the Atlanteans are in this chopper, and... Uh, our heroes are in this red bus, and, and the Atlanteans inexplicably are dropping one or two Atlanteans onto the bus at the time um, to take on our good guys. And they're getting, you know, shot off, thrown off. And, yeah, it was pretty impressive uh, to see these guys jumping from helicopter to, to the bus. Um, so that was sort of a nice uh, nice little piece of work uh, for them. I mean, I don't know what, it, what really else to say. This is such a fun movie, as you said, that I, I don't know how anyone who's not a B-movie fan won't be in heaven with it. Um, yeah, I mean, that's all I really have to say about the film. Now, in terms of Diodato, I would imagine most of you are pretty familiar with him. And if you're not, you're at the very least familiar with uh, his most infamous film, uh, which is, of course, Cannibal Holocaust. Mm -hmm. He primarily did rather serious, uh, grim, uh, nasty stuff. I mean, he did House on the Edge of the Park. Uh, he did a lot of stuff. Uh, most of it was a little more gruesome, but for him to kind of <clears throat> shift gears and go into this post-apocalyptic fun ride, uh, he did it pretty well. I mean, he knew that this was a low-budget film. He knew, you know, just to kind of play on the strengths of the film, which obviously are uh, non-stop action. And like you said, they abandoned character development and everything else. But uh, for what it is, I mean, he did a great job with this. Yes, this is a very low-budget movie that is done very well. For the budget, and when you, I want to go back to that thing of people dying left and right, you know, this is of the school of 
people dying and they hit the, the small trampolines and go flying through the air, maybe? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I, I see Elenians just flying all over the place half the time. And uh, uh, people want an idea of what kind of movie this is. It's that kind of movie. They yeah, get shot know, and then they fly about eight feet into the air and do a backflip. Or they're falling off 200-foot cliffs or <laughs> off of buildings after they get shot, which was a recurring theme in 80s action movies. Yeah, that's the thing that, uh, now that you, you know, when you brought up the red bus and everything, that's the thing I remember a lot about this movie is the stunt work. The stunt work was really, really impressive. Uh, I really didn't expect it to be that impressive, I'll be honest with you. I thought it would be kind of hokey and silly. Uh, but no, the stunt work in this movie is very good. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And it would have to be. I mean, just the sheer number of, of deaths and dismemberments in this and that motorcycle scene everything else you know it, it would have to be if nothing else mm-hmm. so i mean kudos to the uh the special effects guys for this oh yeah yeah i can't remember the name of the stunt team they say the name in the credits but i can't remember it seems like it might have said rock stunt team or something like that so do we want to go ahead and get into our maker breaks and mvts and things uh sure thing you want me to go first i'll go first uh i have no problem okay. with that all right, the make or break scene. This is very simple. I talked about it in my in my part of the review. Uh, the opening ten minutes of this film, pure cinematic gold. Simple as that. It makes no sense, but it is. <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, it is just awesome. If, if for anything else, the white leather skinny tie. But also the running joke of uh, "Hey, wash, hey, wash, Muhammad, man, I told you, Muhammad." Uh, yeah, because Washington <laughs> had recently converted to uh, become a Muslim. Which you hear that a lot, and I kept thinking, okay, this is going to be a running joke through the movie, but it only really is like in the first twenty minutes of the movie. After that, they really he really drops it and and just calls him Wash, and 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 Washington slash Muhammad just abandons, uh, saying it's Muhammad. Yeah, as quick as he converted, he uh, quickly just forgot about it. So, Uh, but yeah, the opening ten minutes, pure gold, man. Like I say, if you if you watch this, the opening ten minutes, you'll either this this will tell you what kind of movie it is and you will either love it or hate it by the first 10 minutes i think if you if you love the first 10 minutes you're going to like the whole movie if you loathe the first 10 minutes then you're probably not going to have a very good time and you should just turn it off because yeah yeah you should just go ahead and turn it off at that point because uh it really doesn't make any more sense much more sense after that i can tell you that right now so uh my mvt for the film i went a different route this time i was going to go with uh, uh the score a little bit and things but I decided to go with uh, production and costume design because for a low budget, this thing is terribly, terribly impressive. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying these these costumes are like Oscar-winning costumes, and they are Mad Max reject costumes. It's pretty obvious. But they do a good job of uh, you know dressing these guys up. They give them uh, face paint, which is uh, some of the face paint's really terrible. But you know, it, it's 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 a lot of fun. The weapons, uh, you know, that's why I say production design. The torn, the destroyed city is very impressive for a low budget. Uh, yeah, I don't know where they shot this exactly, but uh, a lot of the stuff you is know, really good. The only stuff that really the production design that gets kind of lame is when they get to uh, the inside of Atlantis itself, and they only have like two scenes. I guess that's all they can afford. <laughs> yeah, with the, yeah with the lasers shooting out of the the phoenix's eyes or whatever it was. <laughs> but I think I read, and this this is sort of an educated guess when you talk about where it was filmed. I didn't know either. Um, because it didn't really look like Italy to me, or the states for the for that matter. Um, at the end, they give a thank you to um, Philippine Airways. So I'm almost wondering if they shot a little bit of it in the Philippines, uh, because it was so cheap to shoot in the Philippines, as as Jack Hill did and and Roger Corman did. It might have been uh, something where they did that. Yeah, this is right in that time frame, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's actually the case because it looks tropical, and yet it looks kind of—it doesn't look American. It looks tropical in a you know in a European or an Asian way. It doesn't look uh, American. I think they say it's in Florida, right? Yeah, because it's set yeah, in Miami. Miami. 
uh, which you get a lot of opening shots of Miami and stuff, and all I could think is, you know, the city that cocaine built, and, uh, you know, you, you get this whole 80s feel, kind of a Miami Vice feel in the beginning, so you definitely get that feeling. But that's really all I got in my rating for this film. Now, normally, I don't like it. It's easy to, when I say I don't like it, I, it it's easy to sit here and say that if you like B-movies, I would give this movie a high score, but if you don't like B-movies, I'd give it a score. I'm just going to give it a flat score, uh, because like I say, if, if you like B-movies, you'll like this movie quite a bit, I think. And the opening 10 minutes will tell you everything you need to know. If you don't, then there's really nothing my score is going to change your mind. Or, you know, there's really nothing I can say. So I'll give it a flat score of, uh, I, 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 I kind of debated about this for a while. But I think I have to give it a solid 7. Uh, that's kind of high for a movie of this caliber because this movie is very low grade, very B movie, but man, this movie flew by. It's so lean and so entertaining and, and I really can't ask for much more than that from a movie like this. I mean, a lot of B movies, I'll be honest with you, and I'm sure a lot of people out there like this, you know, I start hitting the fast forward button sometimes. I start turning it off. I mean, they have slow bits of dialogue. This movie never slows down, uh, except for the bad spinach uh, scene. There's really not any real, you know, romantic <laughs> things or, or nothing like that. And uh, again, uh, no mention of Vietnam, I heard. But hey, whatever. I mean, it's a lot of fun. It starts off, as you told me, it wastes no time. And I agree with you. It wastes no time whatsoever. It sets itself up and it just goes. And then that's it. It goes all the way to the end. So I give it a I give it a solid seven. I think seven's a good score for it. And that's all I got. Okay. Okay. Yeah, my, my thoughts are, are relatively similar to yours. My make or break scene is also the opening scene where we kinda get uh uh Washington and Mike who yeah, of course are sort of the Crockett and Tubbs in the film. Uh they sort of storm this uh, Versace mansion type uh Miami estate and I mean the credits haven't even finished yet and there's people getting shot People are getting knives thrown at them into their sternum. Um, I mean, it really did instill a great deal of confidence in me that I, I was in for a ride. It was going to be just a fun, fun romp of a film. And like you said, Sammy, if the first 10 minutes will either sell you or you'll be sour on it. And very clearly, because, you know, there's some movies you watch and you think, oh, maybe it'll get better or whatever the case may be. No, this movie is what it is from the opening frame right through to the last moment of the film. Um and that's not to say that's the best scene, but it was the one that, that made the film for me because I knew what I was in for. Right. In, in terms of the MVT, my MVT is, is sort of a little different this time. Uh, it's the decade of the 80s. <laughs> now, technically, the 80s aren't in this movie, yet the 80s are such a part of this movie. <laughs> uh, from the excess to the sort of 80s action movie genre conventions to the costumes, including members-only jackets and white leather skinny ties, uh, to the sort of disco synthy score, um, to all the, the bloodshed and everything else. I mean, this movie just couldn't be made today. It really is uh, something you could put in a time capsule of, of 80s uh, B-movies, and it, it just perfectly defines it. Um, so, yeah, the 80s for me are my MVT. Uh, my score is a little bit higher, and like you, I really did wrestle with what to give this because it's sort of odd because... If you're a B-movie fan, I just don't see how you won't love this film. But am I ranking it or rating it uh, just as a film on its own, which we generally do anyway? So it's I, I kind of wrestled with what I was going to give it to. Um, I'm going to agree with you um, and say a 7 out of 10. And, and just, I mean, that is a high score for a film of this this budget. And like I said, if you're a B-movie fan, this is a perfect film. Yeah. You know, I can't recommend it highly enough to everyone. 
Um, and actually getting to the film in terms of how you can get this. And if someone knows differently, certainly call us and let us know or shoot us an email. It's available uh, on the Grindhouse Experience 20 film box set. Uh, you can get this. And of course, we looked again for you guys in case you were interested in buying it. Uh, it's available on Amazon.com and Amazon.ca for our Canadian listeners. And I'm sure Amazon. whatever, whatever. Uh, .co. uk. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> .jp. wherever you are. Um, and actually, it comes in this 20 film set that you can buy brand new for $30. Um, that's 20 films for 30 bucks, Or you can get them used for $12.47 for 20 films. And there's a lot of great stuff. I have both of the volumes of this. I mean, you get a real mishmash of films. There's so many great films on these two box sets um, that it really, you can't get more bang for your buck than this. Um, for one thing I would say, though, I mean, if you're one of these people that really is into high-definition Blu-ray stuff, you're going to be a little put off because a lot of these transfers are from VHS. In fact, you see the tracking show up in this. It's the, the transfer is very soft in parts, and it's a little dark in a few spots. But, I mean, let's face it, you're never going to get this stuff on DVD otherwise. So I mean, if you're looking for a good bang for your buck uh, box at the Grindhouse Experience uh, is one I would consider getting. The uh, transfer is not great, but, you know, it kind of fits with the mood of the film and and, and uh, that stuff. I, I think that uh, it's actually it's not that bad for one of those kind of video VCR to DVD uh, transfers. It's not as bad as uh, uh, some of the other ones I've seen. I've seen some pretty bad ones, so this one's not that bad. Yeah, no. To be clear, it is good for for the kind of transfer it is, but it's still if you're you know Blu-ray this and Blu-ray that, then maybe it won't be <laughs> for you. But yeah, it is a good transfer for what it is. I would fight though for a Blu-ray transfer of Raiders of Atlantis, and I would buy it immediately if it came out. It'll never happen, but I would fight for that. I don't even have a Blu-ray player, and if they brought it out on Blu-ray, Blu-ray, I would buy it just to support Raiders of Atlantis. That's exactly. how much I love this film. Exactly. So that's it. Two sevens. We like this movie a lot. Hopefully, everybody else will check it out. I definitely recommend. Will definitely recommends, and uh, we're gonna take another break and come back with film number two. I'm waging the war. Heavy stuff there for uh, Willie in the morning. How you, how you like that, buddy? Uh, I love it. It's it's like bluebirds chirping in my ears this morning. <laughs> yeah, that was a band called Kingdom of Sorrow. Uh, the lead singer from Hatebreed, and uh, I think the guitar player from Crowbar. So that's all we got there. Okay, let's go ahead and jump into film number two. Obviously, I'll go ahead and just uh, announce what it is, and I'll go ahead and synopsize and all that good stuff. Okay, film number two, Stone Cold from uh, 1991, the year I graduated from high school, believe it or not. Directed by Craig Baxley. I'll give a brief 
plot synopsis actually stars Brian Bosworth, and we'll go into that quite a bit. <laughs> okay, the plot synopsis. Uh, Joe Huff is a tough, go-it-alone cop with a flair for infiltrating biker gangs. The FBI blackmailed Joe into an undercover operation to convict some extremely violent bikers who are angry at the capture of their leader. And that's pretty it in a nutshell, and these bikers are extremely angry. Let's put it that way. I picked this film. This is a film I saw pretty much when I was about 19 years old, I think. I think it's the first time I saw it. It stuck with me. Uh, ever since we started this podcast, I've wanted to cover it, and I'm glad we finally uh, get a chance to here in episode three. So with me picking it, I'm going to kick it over to you, Will, and uh, we'll see what happens here. Okay, I'm really glad you, you did decide to do this, uh, or pick this film, because it's one I had never seen. As much as I was familiar with it, it wasn't one that I had ever seen. So I was, I was excited to see it, and uh, it certainly did pay off. One of the first things, the film opens up with a grocery store being robbed by these bloodthirsty loons. Not the biker gang, just your everyday run-of-the-mill bloodthirsty loons. <laughs> and I wanted to ask you, how many 80s action movies, and to be clear, although you said 91, this film was from 91, but it really is an 80s action movie in yes. spirit, in aesthetics, everything else. So, I mean, how many 80s action movies open up with uh, a grocery store being robbed. I know Cobra did. I think Action Jackson does, did, does. It seems to be sort of a recurring thing. And it's funny you mention Action Jackson because uh, Craig Baxley actually directed Action Jackson as well. So Ah, there you go. <laughs> I think he might have just, you know, so like, hey, you know, I had some good ideas. I think Action Jackson was first. So I, he's like, I think I had some good ideas in Action Jackson. I'm going to go ahead and revisit those in Stone Cold. Yeah, well, there you go. Right away, we see Boz in this uh, this full-length snakeskin. Well, it's leather slash snakeskin uh, leather coat, uh, which again was sort of a sign of the times. I liked seeing that. You know, he immediately kind of establishes himself as sort of a good, wisecracking hero in the film. Um, you know, we get introduced to the biker gang a little bit later on, and, and one thing I'm sure we'll get into more in depth is that the biker gang includes William Forsyth, mm-hmm. and it also includes Lance Henriksen. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I barely recognized Forsyth, to be honest with you. I mean, he has this, this big beard and long hair uh, in the film. And until scenery started to get chewed up and the film started to kind of be swallowed, I didn't realize it was Forsyth. <laughs> so <clears throat> that was kind of interesting. Um, again, sort of seems to be a running theme this week. Uh, within about five minutes of the film, we see the Brotherhood, which is the biker gang again, blow away a priest uh, <laughs> via shotgun. So, I mean, we're two for two with uh, the movies this week with priests being... Uh, murdered brutally, which is kind of a bizarre coincidence. It is. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. No, I found it kind of odd. Again, some of the stuff, some of the appeal of this film is is really, again, sort of the time capsule look at when it was made, uh, you know, sort of a sign of the times. Um, you see Boz get it. Uh, he's in his apartment making a protein shake for his pet Komodo dragon, which uh, was a nice touch a la Crockett, uh, again, with the Miami Vice influence with his gator. Um, but Boz is outfitted in a headband, a cut-off sweatshirt, and Zubaz pants. <laughs> now, those of you unfamiliar with the term Zubaz pants, I can assure you you've seen them. They're those pants that weightlifters or football fans wear that are sort of like zebra stripes or tiger stripes uh, with the colors of your team. So, for example, I'm a Green Bay Packer fan. These Zubaz pants would have green and yellow zebra stripes, and they're sort of like sweatpants. So I, I got a good kick out of that. Oh yeah, that really that really took me back to. Uh, I remember growing up in the '80s. There's a lot of weightlifters or guys who wanted to be weightlifters in high school, and they would wear those uh, pants. And uh, I don't know, the, very very uh, very strange fashion choice. So that whole 
get up he's got on reminded me of like Olivia Newton John's Let's Get Physical video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it did. It definitely did. I mean, and it's funny because he's talking to his Komodo, and again, sort of a, a, a nice 80s line. He says, I don't remember what the, the, do you remember what the dragon's name is, or does he even say it? I don't know. Yes, if it's says very it. simple. His name is Fido. Uh, Fido. So he says, Come on, Fido. You're going to have to eat your grub if you want to be a stud. <laughs> Which, uh, <laughs> I got a kick out of that line. For yeah, you know, sure. I'm not familiar with Komodo dragons for pets, uh, but I would say. I don't even know for sure if that is a Komodo. It, it, I guess it, it looks like one, unless it's like a huge monitor lizard of some kind. But either way, that's obviously a real lizard. I don't know what they gave that thing to uh, sedate it so he could be less than an inch from its face. But uh, that's pretty brave because I would not get near that thing. That thing was huge. It was massive. And, and further to not being an expert on lizards or Komodo dragons, their diet. Uh, he's putting bananas, potato chips, Snickers bars, hot sauce all in this blender and feeds it to the Komodo or whatever it was. So, again, I'm pretty sure that uh, at at the zoo or in the wild, this isn't something uh, creatures such as Fido would get into. But, again, you know, being the 80s, I'll, I'll let it go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, getting, getting to Boz and, and costumes and, in fact, lack thereof, <laughs> somebody I'm about to mention. Oh, Lord. There's, this, there's a scene you had warned me about. <laughs> Um, you see, most 80s action movies, they'll treat us to a shirtless scene of the hero. Maybe he's just gotten out of the shower or he's, he's oiled up working on his car or whatever the case may be. But not the boss. The boss treats us to a scene with him parading around his apartment in black European cut bikini underwear. And we get the front shot and the back shot. So it was real sweet of uh, the boss to throw something in for the ladies. Yeah, the Boz has never been ashamed of uh, his body. I'm assuming that uh, it wasn't Baxley, the director, who said, hey, Boz, why don't we do this scene with some uh, nice uh, black bikini underwear? I'd imagine that was probably Boz saying, hey, dude, I want to show off you know, my guns, I want to show off my package, and I want to show off my nice tight ass, and uh, he doesn't refrain. I mean, you see it all. You know, I would be shocked if Boz didn't pose in Playgirl at some point. Yeah, yeah. Well, the last thing I saw him in was that remake of The Longest Yard, and he still pretty much looks the same. Hair's a little better now. Yeah, it, oh, his hair's definitely better. For those of you unfamiliar with this film, he has what can only be described as a very extreme mullet where um, it's shaved on the sides. Yes. I mean, so it's it's really is an impressive impressive mullet yeah it's two different shades too it's a kind of a bleach blonde on top and a darker dirty blonde on the shave parts yeah it's kind of a skunk yeah. look or something <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> exactly um i thought the strip club scenes were kind of nice the strip club's called the tit for tat yes <laughs> which uh, in the spirit of you know things such as the titty twister and and a few other names was kind of a little interesting name to say the least um you know, we have Lance Henriksen, of course, with long hair and a mustache. And again, I was more used to seeing him with shorter hair uh, than he does have in this film. So, you know, we get introduced to Henriksen and, of course, more che- larger scenery chewing ensues. Oh, yeah. So, I, I mean, if you think about that, a biker gang with William Forsyth and Lance Henriksen, how can you go wrong? You simply cannot go wrong. There's, <laughs> there's no question about it. Um, one thing I was surprised, uh, there was a lot of TNA in this film. I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, considering it's sort of an 80s action movie, but there was a ton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good stuff, too. I mean, uh, if you like that kind of stuff, some really great stuff, uh, 
I like the uh, the outdoor shower scene. That's uh, very misogynistic and, uh, yeah, a lot of good stuff. Yes, absolutely. Uh, one thing I did note, uh, I was kind of surprised to see as many swastikas and SS symbols as we did in the film. Um, mm-hmm. I, think, I think in this day and age, you couldn't get away with that as much in sort of the politically correct age we live in. Now, if the movie's about Nazis or skinheads or whatever the case may be, uh, perhaps you could, but with, I don't know, I just don't think with biker gangs necessarily you could get away with that as much as they did in this film. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, I, you just don't, well, first of all, they don't really make biker movies anymore, especially like this. This might be the last uh, real biker movie I've seen. I, I can't really think of any others off the top of my head. I know that, you know, Hellride came out a while back, and I haven't seen that yet, so, and that looks like a definitely a throwback to biker movies, but this one... uh Definitely has the whole biker feel uh, down pat, including the uh, bluesy, overproduced uh, cock rock guitar music. Yeah, <laughs> throughout. <laughs> yeah, it definitely does. And speaking of biker movies, actually, I meant to ask you this because off the top of my head, I couldn't uh, think of any instances. Did Arnie, Sly Stallone, uh, Bruce Willis, Van Damme, or Seagal, or any of them ever do a biker movie that you can think of? Ooh, uh, it seems like Stallone might have done something. No, I guess not. Uh, he did a trucker movie. Yeah, he did a trucker movie. Uh, I can't think of anybody else that did one. Maybe Lundgren did a biker movie. Maybe we we could. I'd have to go back and look at Lundgren's. Uh, it, it's it's a uh, you know dotted with classics. I'm sure. So I'd have to go back and look. But no, not to this extent. I think this is. Uh, I mean, I think this is the only one I can think of really off the top of my head. And I know a lot of action movies and stuff. So maybe some of our listeners out there might know some stuff. So if anybody knows some stuff, please contact us because we we would love to watch some more uh, uh, action biker flicks. That would be a lot of fun. Oh yeah. Definitely, and it's just I'd thought about that, that, you know, again, I sort of tip my hat to them that they, they somehow came up with a bit of a fresh or original setting for an 80s action movie, because, I mean, everything had been done to death, so that was kind of, I liked that. There's a scene where, actually, that I really liked where, uh, and I'm not giving anything away, to, well, actually, I won't spoil it for those of you, there's a funeral for a, a biker character in the film. Um, <laughs> a <it's>, Viking funeral. <laughs> A bike, yeah, it's it's absolutely first class. Uh, they prop the biker. He's been killed by uh, the boss, and they prop him up on his bike in his shades, a la weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> and uh, I'm quoting the 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 person who's uh, presiding over the service when he says, "We're gonna send this prick off to Valhalla," and they proceed to light him on fire. Everyone's chanting, shooting off their guns, and. Uh, it was, just, I don't know. I mean, it was just, you have to see it to believe it. it was now, a pretty... how, did this, how did this biker gang in this compound not get arrested beforehand with uh, the amount of artillery they had? It's funny you said that because although I had thought it, when this funeral is going on, I mean, this is a huge fire and there's tons of guns being shot off. I thought the same thing. How are they not being picked up by the police or at least someone knocking on their gate and saying, uh, you know, let me in here. Let's take a look. Um Another thing I liked was that this was an action movie that, getting back to sort of the originality of it being sort of a biker 80s action movie, was I really liked that it didn't take place in New York, L.A., Detroit, Chicago, sort of these big urban cities. It takes place in Alabama and Mississippi, um, which, again, it's sort of a small touch, but I, I, I liked that because, you know, so often you get your action movies that take place in sort of big urban metropolises. Right, right. Yeah, this one's a southern, dirty, uh, you know, which may, may explain why they got away with shooting the guns in the air and the big fire and everything. You know, probably, you know, I've been to the south. I mean, you, you got some bonfires down there. You might have some gunshots go off for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, speaking of gunfire, I mean, there was tons of bullets, tons of great explosions in this film. Yeah, let's Again. talk about that. I mean, think about this for a minute. This is Brian Bosworth's first movie. 
He had, he had retired from the NFL. Uh, they really, I don't know how what the budget was, but they really went all out with the action scenes, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. Uh, there was a lot of great, great 80s action that holds up with uh, most other 80s action films of, of that time and that type. Yeah, there's I mean, some great got... stuff. There's great stuff with a helicopter. Again. Uh, yeah. Great stuff with motorcycles. I mean, I, was, I can remember watching this when I was younger, and I remember thinking, wow, they really went all out for a Bosworth movie. I mean, this guy... That had no had no movie credits to his name, and they went all out. Yeah, they must have. I mean, there's a scene where Bosworth's chasing uh, William Forsythe's character, and that the sort of that bike chase scene, and you know, with the ensuing gun battle on the bike and everything else, it was it was really well done. And I mean, yeah, there's just a ton of explosions, bullets, people again falling from high places after they've been shot. Um, it was again, it was it was great. I mean, again, it was sort of a a trademark of your '80s action movie, but there was a lot of it, and then a lot of it was very well done. Yes, yes. I mean, it was Baxley did a good job. I mean, he did Action Jackson, which I like a lot too. Action Jackson had a lot of great scenes in it. This guy obviously has the talent to make action movies. It's kind of a shame he ended up making like TV movies like uh, Rose Red and Storm of the Century, the Stephen King movies, and people that has their fans and everything, and they're and they're okay, you know, and everything else. But I just wish he would have made more of these kind of movies, uh, Action Jackson, Stone Cold in particular, because they're very you know efficient uh, little action movies, and I, I just kind of wish he would have made more. Especially I wish they would have made a sequel to Action Jackson, because Action Jackson was a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Action Jackson, uh, and I'm a big fan of Vanity, the female lead <laughs> in it, but I'm sure we'll get to her in the very Oh, yeah, Action Jackson will be covered at some point on the show, I can promise that. Oh, yeah, and, and another Vanity movie that you and I absolutely adore. Yeah, which I, if anybody knows who Vanity is, I really don't even have to say the title of that movie. <laughs> no, no. And exactly. if anybody knows Big Willie, then uh, they'll know what movie we're talking about. Oh, exactly. Near the end, uh, there, it sort of takes place in, I guess, some sort of a, a government building, a courthouse and whatnot. And, uh, of course, Henriksen is fighting the boss. And Henriksen's stunt double better have gotten a gold watch or something from Lance for that. Because he, this guy falls down about 93 stairs... Over about twelve banisters. I mean, it, he just yeah, he's and fallen all they look the like uh, they were probably marble stairs or stone at least. I mean, it, that couldn't have been easy. It looked pretty painful. Oh yeah, there's, it's not like it's wood where there's a little bit of give. Yeah, so that's I really a, hope. Let me think of that. Let me talk about something. I hate to cut you off. Let me think about that for a minute. You know, throughout the scene, throughout the movie, Lance Henriksen plays a character named Chains, which is an awesome name for a bad guy. Yeah, he he is a badass throughout the whole movie, but then it. You know, toward the end, it's like he 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 wimps out or something. I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I'm not giving anything away there, but it's like he he doesn't even try to fight back for something. I, I don't know. Maybe that was just me, my perception of it. But it just seems like he he's this total badass uh, through the whole movie, and then all of a sudden he kind of you know he pusses out. Yeah, I, I don't I don't really have anything that I can I can quite. Yeah, it is a little odd now that I I think about it. He did kind of puss out uh, near the end when he came face to face with the uh, the golden mullet. I. I don't. I don't know. I, I don't really know why he did either. It was a little bit odd that it wasn't. Uh, he might have been staring. He might have been staring at the mullet directly. It's like Medusa it kind of freezes you a little bit. Because <laughs> I know I was out. looking at it a lot. I was. I mean, yeah, because they got some great shots sort of behind Boz or from the side where you can really see the blending or lack of blending of the the, the brown and the blonde. Yeah, for Matt Suzaka, I need to. What I need to do is I need to grow my hair back out. Uh, give me some of those pants, and then give me a Hawaiian shirt and dye my hair blonde, and then uh, you know take some photos and put them on our uh, our uh, homepage, and then uh, you know I'll be fitting little, right in. <laughs> a little slice of heaven for Matt Suzaka. <laughs> yeah, there you um, go. One thing I want to talk about. It's sort of a, a convention of of the uh, of action movies, and, and not necessarily even action movies, but cop movies in general. 
is usually, you know, there's that character Gut. Gut is, is one of the bikers, but he starts to question some of the extremes the bikers are going to. Uh, he's sort of uh, a bit of a moral compass in a sense, and they they treat him. He's sort of the, the goofy idiot, but he kind of tries to take a stand, and it doesn't very end very well for his uh, his right hand. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's funny because that that's a convention in a lot of films, even in Infernal Affairs. Chapman Toe's character is sort of the goofy uh, character that kind of falls in line with our our insider or our undercover cop. So mm. I. I don't know how you know how far back that that convention goes, but it's something I did note. Um, that's all I really got in terms of talking about the film, um, other than getting about Boz's performance. I don't know if you want to talk about that now or later. I'll talk about it. Uh, I'll go ahead and jump on that train there. Uh, let me also say about Gut though that if anybody ever wants to take a lesson on eye twitching acting, watch this movie because Gut uh, <laughs> is the master of the eye twitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen so many eye twitches from a character in your life? <laughs> Uh, not not off the top of my head, I can't recall. Wow, at all. I mean, it was so distracting the amount of eye twitching this guy was doing. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I'll just go into a couple of things. Uh, Bosworth, uh, you know, he has a certain kind of charisma. Now, I'm not to say that I think he's the greatest actor in the world. He is not, but for this kind of movie, he is just fine. Uh, he got nominated actually for a Razzie Award for Worst New Star when this film came out, and I'll be honest with you, I've seen actors like uh, Stallone and Schwarzenegger and every everybody else that out there that's uh, huge action stars. They've been in worse pieces of crap than this film. I mean, this film is much better than uh, some of the films I've seen from those guys. So I don't know why he got nominated. I, nobody was ever a fan of Bosworth for some reason. It seems uh, it's kind of a shame because the guy has a magnetism that attracts you know it'll attract the action fan i think he he carries a film pretty well he's got like uh, we've talked about he's got comedic timing uh he is a little wooden uh but this is his first movie so i can explain you know that can explain him being a little wooden in it uh but really i mean he carries the movie on his shoulders pretty good and you know he, he likes to show his uh shoulders and chest off quite a bit so you know i mean he he, he doesn't do a bad job and uh i think that uh he kind of gets a bad rep. I know that uh, Naked Eskimo is a big fan of this, uh, which we'll hear about later. And uh, I don't see any problem with his acting. I know that you uh, contacted me uh, last night before we recorded the show and said that uh, you thought he was pretty solid. Yeah, I did. I, I would go a step further. I thought he was was great in it, uh, especially considering it's his, his first film. Um, the problem is Bosworth got a bad rap for his uh, sort of troublemaking days at Oklahoma and sort of he became a bust uh, when he played for the Seahawks in the NFL, and I think a lot of people were put off by that. Uh, whereas Howie Long, when he did a few action movies, people responded a little more favorably. But, I mean, it is a shame because, you know what, I thought he was great in it. He was what he needed to be in this. Uh, great presence, great charisma. He's a good-looking guy despite or maybe because of the mullet. Uh, great. <laughs> I, thought, I thought maybe you were going to go with the uh, black underwear. Well, that too. That, that's, uh, that goes without <laughs> mentioning. The bikini... <laughs> European cut underwear. Um, but, I mean, he is everything you want in an 80s action hero. Uh, just he was, he was perfect in it uh, for what he was. Yeah, just it, the problem is it just came along a little too late. Like I say, it was released in ninety one, but it probably was shot in like eighty nine, ninety. And it was the end of it was the end of the era, really, of the eighties uh, action movies. Uh, you know, ninety one, ninety two, I guess ninety three or so. The music world changed uh, with the uh, you know grunge music coming in. Everything kind of changed a lot. Uh, the whole aesthetic value of these guys with long hair and trench coats and cowboy boots and uh, maybe even jackets with tassels hanging off of them and for those. Yeah, those guys all, they disappeared because uh, the the culture changed. And uh, you can see this movie's right on the precipice of uh, falling off of that. You can see that. And that's why I kind of call it, 
I know I've said this to you. I kind of call it like the maybe the last great '80s action movie uh, because even though it was released in '91, it really has those themes and it really feels like an '80s movie. It doesn't feel like a '91 movie, and because it's so early in the '90s, you can really you could really consider it an '80s movie, really. Yeah, and you nailed it on the head. I was actually going to talk about that too. Just yeah, how everything changed uh, in terms of pop culture and so forth with the music and everything else because there's a lot of heavy metal or not metal but harder sort of rock and bluesy stuff in this that were staples of 80s action movies and like you said just it was on that precipice where you know not too long after you get the, the flannel sort of seattle scene and everything else and it people just were done with with that whole excessive uh, 80s yeah it's kind of like you know disco i mean it just got it dropped it got dropped and that was the end of it i mean it just disappeared and this yep. was as far as films go, as far as action films go anyway, this was that movie to me because I, it was 91 or 92 when I saw it. And a couple of years later, I was playing music in bands and things. And uh, we weren't playing, you know, Poison and L.A. Guns and Guns N' Roses. I mean, those bands disappeared overnight, it seems. So, uh, But this is like that last bastion of hope for that kind of film. So that kind of gives you an idea of the music in the film. I also want to mention that uh, the great tagline for the Brotherhood, uh, God forgives, the Brotherhood doesn't. Uh, I love that. Oh, that was good. They even have it <laughs> tattooed on themselves, including their old ladies. Yeah, which they call old ladies, which... Uh, you know, I've grown up around biker culture before. My father was hung around with a bunch of those kind of guys. He worked with a bunch of those guys, and uh, you know, they they really, you know, they really did call their women uh, their old ladies. And there's some great moments in here with the old ladies, and some shocking moments too. I won't go any more detail than that. But there's some real surprises as far as an action movie go. Action movies go in in this film. There are some surprises. Oh yeah, there definitely are. I really don't have a whole lot more to add other than I'm just a a fan of this movie. I've always liked it. Always will like it. It's not. A masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination but as far as an action 80s romp it's a, it's a hell of a lot of fun yeah i i completely agree and again i'm, I'm glad that you exposed me to it because one of those ones i was always familiar with but i never just quite got around to seeing it and i'm uh, i'm glad i did because it, it was a great uh 80s action movie so i'll go ahead and kick it over to you and let you go with the make or break or your mvt and then we'll go from there Okay, uh, my micro break scene is one I didn't talk about uh, when I was discussing the film. It's a scene where the bikers go to a fancy restaurant. Uh, the bikers are meeting up with the Italian mob to do some business. And uh, the boss and Henriksen come in in their, their leather, etc. And it looks kind of humorous to see them in this, this fancy restaurant. And the Italians are sitting down eating uh, a meal. And they hand them a box, like a gift. And the Italians, of course, open it. And it's a helmet with a visor on it. And uh, they go. The guy goes. Oh, I don't ride. You know what's this for? And of course, chains tells them to open the visor. And of course, he flips open the visor, and uh, inside is the head of one of the mobsters. So to me, that that was a. I mean, just a great scene that kind of lets you know just that they do kind of take it uh, to the limit in the sense in terms of eighties action. It's it's not a PG movie. I mean, it's definitely an R rated movie with all the uh, the the tits and ass and you know the the gunplay and everything else. And and that to me was just it was the most memorable th scene uh, in the film. Mm -hmm. um, my MVT, you know, I, I would be surprised if yours isn't the same. It's the boss and his uh, luxurious mane. Um, again, it's just a real shame he wasn't bigger. Uh, in action films, because he was he was great. Everything you need from an action star, he had, and this was early on too. And I mean, yeah, he was a touch wooden, but I mean, compare that to Hercules Goes Bananas, or if you're adventurous enough to watch uh, Party at Kitty and Studs, I'm sure that uh, neither Sly nor Arnie had quite the presence he did early on. So yeah, it's just a shame. Now, in terms of my rating, um, 
I'm going to give this one a 7 out of 10. I mean, it's just a solid, solid film. And if you're a fan or an aficionado of 80s action movies, I don't see how you wouldn't enjoy this. It's uh, it's definitely a lot of fun and brings some new elements to the table in terms of uh, the setting. In terms of some of the things like we just mentioned that it does that are sort of surprising that it veers away from in terms of uh, the plot and the way things go with uh, some of the characters. Right, and, right. Uh, and that's pretty much it. That's all I got. All right. All right, well, I'm going to go with my make, my make or break. My make or break is uh, really the scenes, every scene where they're at the rallies, the bike rallies. These are the most insane bike rallies I've ever seen. I don't know if bike rallies are really like this. I've never been to one, but I'm sure that people don't put cans of beer on their head and say, go ahead and shoot it, motherfucker, and stuff like that. You know, I'm pretty sure that that borders on insanity. And uh, there's some great scenes there, great character names, too. I think the other guy with the red beard, his name is Mudfish. Which is yeah, Mudfish. <laughs> yeah, that's a great name. <laughs> Mudfish and uh, yeah, there's some there's some great scenes with uh, them shooting beer cans, them uh, doing where they're getting dragged behind motorcycles as if it's a competition. Uh, there's just some great stuff like that, and uh, I, I know they race bikes, but I don't remember ever seeing a rally where they drag people behind their bikes for competition uh, with hardly any clothes on. So whatever, but th- those were a lot of fun. They really established that this this gang is insane uh, right from the get go. If if the fact that you have to pull up to a gate and there's a tower and there's people with guns standing uh, you know up there isn't enough insanity you go inside and people are shooting beer cans off each other's head also uh, there's a great line i want to mention in the movie one of my favorite lines in the whole movie which i i was going to sample and put into the show but lance hendrickson at one point says uh i will peel your skin off with a knife dipped in shit <laughs> and i'm like wow who came up with that fucking line because that line is awesome <laughs> yeah that is an awesome line and I was like, you know, and Hendrickson, the only other person that could have delivered that line without making me, you know, just drop down with laughter would have been Forsyth. But Hendrickson delivers uh, every line he delivers. It's very serious. And, uh, you know, Lance, you know, I always thought Lance was a small guy, but it, uh, either they gave him some booster boots or something, man, because uh, he seems to be standing toe to toe with Boz in a lot of scenes. And Lance oh, yeah. has always been in pretty good shape anyway. And, uh, of course, you know, he's looked 50 years old for, you know, 80 years. So. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't tell what age he is here because he's looked the same almost the whole time I've seen him and I've ever been familiar with him. But this is a great villain performance. Uh, one of his better villainous roles, I would say, is in this movie. Uh, he does have a really bad mullet, but oddly enough, it fits. And he looks like he looks like a real biker to me. Yeah, he did. Because, you know, you find sometimes in movies, uh, genre movies, action movies, where you get actors playing tough guys or heavies or bikers. And it just looks like... You know, little boys playing dress up. It's not convincing, but yeah, all of the guys were convincing as bikers in this film. Yeah, and he's got a great laugh in the movie. Uh, every time he sees something that makes him laugh, he just. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a great, you know, smoker's laugh. Uh, it's it's just a terrific laugh. I mean, insanity. He does well. That being said, let me go to my MVT. Now, my MVT was going to be the Boz because he does really carry this movie, and he comes in a very close second for me. But I'm going to go. And I, I talked to you about this. I'm going to go with William Forsythe. And the reason why is because he really brings the insanity. And I told you, I told you this when I talked to you, that the movie kind of loses a little bit of steam at, at a certain point. And it really kind of has to border, it kind of borders on Forsythe's performance. And uh, that's really the only drawback I have to this. Well, I mean, other than the fact that, you know, Bosworth walks around half naked half the time. This is really the only drawback that I really have is that it kind of seems like it loses some steam at a certain point, uh, depending on the Forsythe performance. So, but that being said, his performance is out of control i mean it is bill Forsythe. he's always been uh one of the greatest of the uh, scenery chewers out there i mean he's he's insane i mean he's just plain insane if you want to see some really good scenery chewing just watch the remake of halloween uh wow i mean 
first of all, the movie's terrible, and that's my opinion, and I'm pretty sure you share share that opinion. I definitely share that opinion. But his performance in the movie really, and it's in the beginning of the movie, that really, it took me out of the movie immediately. And Forsyth's that kind of director, I mean, not director, but he's that kind of actor. He either sucks you in with his performance, uh, or he totally just derails the whole movie. Because that's the kind of actor he is. He is so over the top. Yeah, he is. And I think if him and Pacino ever did a film together, the universe would swallow itself. They could not <laughs> coexist in the same space. Yes, and people who aren't familiar with his name, because uh, his name is kind of uh, his face. I mean, he's been in a lot of stuff, played a lot of bad guys. Again, he's in the Halloween remake. He's at the beginning. I guess he's the white trash uh, adopted dad, or maybe he's the genetic dad. I never could distinguish uh, what he was, except... Uh, <laughs> the fact that it was some terrible acting. But, I mean, in other movies, he's done the same kind of acting, and it's been just fine. So it really is how you use him and everything. He is real good in The Devil's Rejects, though. So, I mean, there's some overacting in that, but he does it well. So that's he the was, last good, really good performance I've seen him in. Yeah, he was great in that with sort of the biblical Old Old Testament sort of fury that he brings in that role. Yeah, he'd be really good in, like, a, a spaghetti western. Uh, you know, like, well, me and you are always talking about somebody making a real spaghetti western. And, you know, like Tarantino or somebody making a real spaghetti western and putting foresight and maybe, uh, you know, some other people in there. He would be really good playing the bad guy. I can see him with the cigar and the dirty face. Like, he looks in Stone Cold pretty much. Yeah, he would be good in that. Or you could even use him as, as one of the good guys. I mean, either way, he would be first class. He would be perfect. In a, in a hey, every scene he's in, and he seems to do this in a lot of movies he's been in, you know, when he plays a heavy especially, uh, you feel menace. You definitely feel like something bad's getting ready to happen because he can bring the uh, the uh, the heaviness. He brings it very well. And, you know, from what I've seen in interviews and everything else, the guy's actually a really nice guy and a really smart guy, but he never plays that on screen. So that's all i got to say about the MVT. I just think Forsyth is, the, uh, is, is really good. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Bosworth holds the movie together and carries it on his shoulders, and it's a, it's a lot of fun watching his performance. But uh, Forsyth is, uh, man, he could uh, chew up Boz and spit him out <laughs> with some of the acting he does in this movie. As far as the rating goes, I'm going to give it a 7.5. I'm actually going to go up a half a point. Uh, the reason why is because I think this movie is very rewatchable. It's one of those kind of movies... I hear people say all the time they have sick movies. I heard uh, Bill talking about this on a recent episode of OTC. I've heard other people talk about it, like when they don't feel good, they like to you know lay on the couch or lay in bed and watch a movie. This is one of those movies that I would watch if I didn't feel good because it, it immediately would cheer me up. I mean, it's a lot of fun. Uh, there's really no other way to describe it. I mean, it's just a pure fun movie at a 7.5, and uh, I recommend anybody see it. I do warn, however, that it is a movie of its time, just like Raiders of Atlantis. So you're either going to love it or hate it, really, depending on like the first 15 minutes of the movie. It's kind of the same feel. It's really odd that we pick these two movies, and they're very similar in their feel, don't you think? Yeah, they are a lot of the things they do with the guns and just the themes and... I mean, they're really two 80s action movies from different countries uh, that are kind of cribbing from some similar and some dissimilar influences. But, yeah, it is kind of odd in hindsight uh, with the two that we've had. I mean, even down to the two priests being brutally murdered. Yeah, I mean, it's really weird. And I, and I really totally feel like if you used to watch these movies, uh, 10 or 15 minutes in, you'll know if you're going to like it or not. So that being said, also, though, they're two, they're very differently aesthetically. Uh, one is definitely early 80s. The other one is definitely late 80s, early 90s as far as uh, fashion and looks and things. So be warned. And also, if you are, uh, you know, if you, you might uh, not ever get over the sight of Bosworth in some black underwear, uh, trust me, you won't. But you'll either be, uh, you know, aroused or, you know, turned off by it. So who knows? <laughs> Hopefully not aroused if you're uh, kind of macho. If so, you might need to go see a shrink. But if that's your thing, then that's okay, too. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you can't ask for a better model for some black underwear than the boss, I guess. You can I, I think I might have to go back and edit that out. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Might have said a little too much right there. <laughs> All right, so that's it. Seven and a seven point five. Uh, the gentleman definitely recommend eighties uh, action, uh, even though it was released in the nineties. I can't recommend it high enough. I'm not saying it's a purchase, but definitely a rental. And Netflix has it, guys. So rent it and check it out. Let us know what you think. Netflix has it, and so does Zip.ca, which is, of course, the Canadian equivalent of Netflix. <laughs> yes, for those who aren't familiar. So we're going to take our last break here, and then we're going to get back into some uh, feedback right after this. It's a well-known fact that a lot of people that like podcasts also like the 80s, and I think it stands to reason that they also like Ghostbusters, which is why I'm playing this song in the background of this ad that I'm doing for Show Show's second annual Halloween Spectacular. It's a festival that we do uh, every year, I guess, uh, two years in a row anyway, um, at Show Show, where we watch 31 movies and record 31 episodes throughout the entire month of October. Uh, we're going to be watching some really, really good shit, like Rumpelstiltskin. <clears throat> anyway, check out showshowpodcast.com for more details. So we are back. Little Dead Kennedys there with a cover of uh, I Fought the Law. Pretty awesome little cover there. That's a very awesome cover. (laughs) Good stuff. Let me turn it up again. Yeah, there we go. A little bit of maybe a a song from the perspective of Chains from Stone Cold there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we have, uh, let's see, I think we got two emails and we have... uh, quite a few voicemails so we appreciate everybody uh calling in and uh sending voicemails and, and uh, emails so please keep that up because we we love that we love that shit i guess we'll go ahead and do the emails first you want to go ahead i'm gonna let uh will read the emails this time uh i'm not in the mood to read this morning i'm a little tired go ahead will yeah and I, again i want to thank everyone too it's so encouraging to to get this sort of a response and feedback from everyone uh in terms of voicemails emails keep it up I mean, the more the better. I mean, it's it's very exciting. It's like we feel like kids on Christmas Day will, you know, we'll call one of them. And say, hey, did you see that new voicemail or that new email? Uh, so <laughs> yeah, you know, keep it up, guys. Um, okay, the first email is from King Mob, and the title is Two for Two Guys, You Rock." Hey guys, I just finished listening to the second episode of the Guide and thought I should drop a line to say what a great job y'all are doing with the show. I'm very much a lurker in the podcasting world as I listen to around 15 shows a week. Yeah, don't really get in contact with that many of the creators except here or there on the various forums. Which, again, is it's an honor uh, to interject for yeah. a moment uh, that, you know, if you tend to lurk King Mob and you, you sent us an email, you felt compelled to do so, we appreciate that. 
the show sounds great. Both of you have great voices for it, and the production side of it sounds pretty slick for a couple of first-timers. Willie's voice kind of reminds me of Dez from Dread Media. Maybe it's a Canadian thing. It must be. I've been told I sound like Howie Mandel recently, which I wasn't overly thrilled with, but that's okay. It's all the uh, it's all the outs and aboots. Exactly. <laughs> um, the films covered so far have been interesting choices. Definitely nothing I've heard other shows reviewing, so kudos for making the effort to seek out some more obscure flicks to cover. Well, I'm not too sure about next week's choice of Stone Cold. I'm betting that the mullet chat will prove to be entertaining if the film turns out to be kind of corny. Uh, the film wasn't corny, and yes, the mullet chat was entertaining. Uh, of course, I'm saying that without ever having seen the film. Uh, I was never all that sold on Bosworth's acting ability, but I doubt that Netflix could get it to me by the time I hear the show. Keep up the great work. King Mob, Texas. And you can actually check out King Mob's uh, blog. He's got a great blog, uh, dearbastards.blogspot.com or bigsuckloser.com. So, awesome title. Awesome. Both are awesome titles. Yeah, so both of them are awesome titles. Check those out when you get a moment. Now, we have someone on another uh, email that sort of uh, is the flip side in terms of how they were feeling towards Stone Cold. The title is, That's It, Samurai is My Hero. Stone Cold, dude, seriously, you are the man. I have a checklist for why this movie is awesome. Lance Henriksen in a non-sci-fi film playing a guy named Chains? Check. William Forthice is a long-haired biker psycho? Check. Brian Bosworth on a hog kicking ass with a mullet? Check. One of my favorite and at the same time the worst action films I have ever seen. Lance is so damned over the top silly in this flick that there was no way I wasn't going to like it. And truth be told, the action sequences are not half bad. Yeah, they were pretty good. Um, I just got a kick out of the idea of biker gangs in this day and age. Knowing what I know about most of the guys you see riding around on Harleys, the concept of them having a mafia-like organized crime ring is pretty hilarious. What else can be said about this one? Lots of great one-liners, a couple of kick-ass bar brawls, and Bosworth doing a pretty damn okay job of carrying an action flick. I know I said it's a terrible movie, but I never said it was because of the cast. If you've not seen it, I also highly recommend One Tough Bastard in which Bosworth surprises me with some pretty decent martial arts chops. At least he did when I saw it 10 years ago. It's a pretty tight little revenge action flick, and hey, no mullet. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on Stone Cold, Naked Eskimo. P.S. You don't have to play hardcore. I was just messing with Willie. And also, I'm from Texas. Y'all is second nature to me. Keep rocking the cock rock. I dig it. (laughs) Get some love from Texas, huh? Yeah, it looks like the, the, uh, the big state of Texas has given us lots of love, which is nice. Yeah, uh, the one tough bastard I've never seen, so I really want to check that out now. Uh, I know the title and stuff, but it was one of those movies that I just never got around to watching, and uh, I got to see it now. I mean, especially if he does some martial arts in it, that, yeah. that's that's gold right there. I got to check that out. Yeah, I, I also I've never seen it, and I'm I'm excited to see it now as well. So thanks for that uh, that tip, Esky. Yeah, yeah, and I hope you did like our review of. Uh, of uh, Stone Cold, and I, I kind of feel the same way. I can see where he gets that uh, feeling of uh, it's it's the, like the best and the worst action movie at the same time, and, and you really kind of get that feel. And I guess that's why we you know gave it a you know not a mediocre score, but that's the way it really feels. I mean, it's a solid action movie, and for some people, it's going to be like uh, instant gold when they see it, and for other people, it's going to be like the most terrible thing they've ever seen before in their life and that's fine but that's these kind of movies you know divide people but at the same time i guarantee even the people that hate it will have a good time watching it oh yeah yeah definitely all right so that's it for emails we're gonna go ahead and jump into say may voicemails here let me uh hey big willie and samurai this is uh sean from chicago collins posted defiant 128 on the pop syndicate board 
just want to take a minute to congratulate you on the first episode of the show. I just got done listening to it and enjoyed it very, very much. Not really uh, too into spaghetti westerns. I've seen all the, uh, you know, the the essentials, you know, the uh, Clint Eastwood westerns and Once Upon a Time in the West. So I wonder if you could suggest uh, other movies to start with, uh, under other lesser knowns than the one that uh, Trinity series that you guys did on uh, on the podcast. Other than that, uh, you guys seem to have a fantastic report. The show is well, the show is well produced, um, and I hope, I expect, and I hope to hear uh, great things in the future. Congratulations, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, that was Sean from uh, HorrorCommentary.com, I believe, and uh, it's pretty great he called in. Uh, I know it's funny as as I'm recording this, I listened to the new episode of Outside the Cinema, and he finally called into them. It's weird. He'd always sent them emails, and he'd always sent voicemails to Cinema Diabolica for some reason. And uh, Bill was pretty upset about that. So I think he finally is uh, starting to send uh, voicemails all around now. But uh, yeah, as far as spaghetti westerns uh, that I can recommend, uh, I don't want to recommend too many because uh, I don't want anybody to uh, steal the thunder uh, of uh, recovering them that uh, we might. Uh, but I do recommend, uh, obviously, the original Django. That's a, a must, I would say. Would you agree? Uh, it was one of the ones I was going to mention as well. It's uh, it's excellent, and if you like westerns, it is a good jump off point for the non Leone spaghetti westerns. Yeah, and uh, really from there it's a labyrinth. From there it's uh, there are so many different types of uh, spaghetti westerns and stuff. Uh, I do recommend uh, the Great Silence, uh, Corbucci film. Uh, it's a very very dark dark western. Good stuff. Uh, we plan on covering it at some point on this show. Uh, good stuff. Klaus Kinski in it. Uh, so there is some. Uh, some uh, well, some slight overacting. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, really good. There's there, there's so many spaghetti western, Sean. To be honest, uh, uh, you've seen the I guess quote unquote the master of the spaghetti western. Uh, you've seen all. I guess you've seen. He he said he's seen the. I guess he probably seen all the uh, Man with No Name trilogy, and he did say Once Upon a Time in the West, which is for me kind of the pinnacle of the spaghetti western. But uh, there is a ton of stuff, and and in the future we're going to be covering a lot of it. But I do recommend Django. Uh, I would recommend. Uh, uh, Kioma, which is a, a later one with Franco Nero. Uh, there's a, quite a few. I mean, I, I can't even go. I, I don't have a list here, but I, can, I can't go over them all. But you just start digging into Franco Nero, uh, Terrence Hill, and those guys, and you will find a plethora of choices Yeah, as far as Spaghetti Westerns go. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so many you could go with. I don't know if you've even seen any of uh, Clint Eastwood's later Westerns, like Pale Rider, The Outlaw Josie Wales, even Unforgiven. I mean, they're all great, great stuff. And just to add to your list... Um, my favorite Western of all time, uh, and it's the one that I know you and I had talked about covering uh, on an episode, is The Wild Bunch, uh, Sam Peckinpah's classic. Yep. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I consider that, in my opinion, for whatever it's worth, to be better. It's my favorite Western. I think it's the best Western uh, ever made. So, And that's not to discredit Leone because I'm a huge fan, but if you haven't seen that, I would highly recommend you check that out. And a lot of the Italian spaghetti Westerns, like I said, uh, or like Samurai said, just you know, look for, follow the trail from... From Nero to Terrence Hill, uh, some of the players like Corbucci and stuff, and you should find some stuff you really like. Yeah, there you go. I mean, just start digging around. You start digging around in Sergio Corbucci, and uh, and uh, I think Martino, I don't know if Martino ever did any Spaghetti Westerns or not, but Corbucci did, and a couple others. Uh, Barboni, you might want to look into him. Uh, he did do a couple other that aren't as comedic. Uh, but you start digging around, and trust me, you'll you'll find some gold in there, and, and you'll hear us cover that stuff on the show in the future. Yeah, and even one thing just a little bit further to that I would say is a lot of Italian directors as you probably know sean worked in a lot of genres they worked in polizia films horror films you know, giallos uh, as well as spaghetti westerns you know for example lucio fulci um he did some as well he did for the apocalypse which has fabio testi in it 
Um, uh-huh. So, I mean, if you just look at some of your favorite Italian directors, I'm sure you can find uh, spaghetti westerns uh, that way, too. Oh, yeah, because it was a whole commercial enterprise for a while there. It seems like all of them dipped their toes into the spaghetti western field. So, All right, so voicemail number two. I think we know this guy quite well, so here we go. Hey, guys, it's Bill. Just want to call and say that the first episode was great. I think you probably already recorded the second one, so I missed out on getting in on it. I'm a little let down. Not about the show, though. That was excellent. And I also just want to say a big thank you to both Willie and Samurai. Both of you guys had a lot of kind words to say to me about my uh, my dog passing, and it's very much appreciated. You guys are the best. Welcome to the Unholy Trilogy of, of Podcasting Mayhem. Trilogy, yeah. Well, Trinity? Trilogy? What do you what do you say when you do threes? <laughs> triangle? Yeah, unholy podcast triangle. I don't know, I'll think about it and get back to you. Alright, that was Bill. And and Bill, I think the term you're looking for, especially when you consider these three shows, Cinema Diabolic Outside the Cinema and the Gentleman Guide Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. And correct me if I'm wrong on this, Willie, but uh, I think the term he's looking for is menage toi. I would say that's a rather astute observation on your part. I think Menage et Trois is rather fitting uh, when describing the three. <laughs> um, Between the six of us, uh, you know, we could create a uh, a nice little, you know, a pretty good pretzel, I would say. <laughs> Play a good, good game of Naked Twister. Yeah, there you go. So Menage et Trois, Bill, that's what you're looking for. But uh, thanks for the uh, support and everything again, uh, Bill and Ryan and... Uh, F13DZ, great guys. Uh, you know, as most people know who listen to this, probably we're big fans of those shows. We can't recommend Cinema Diabolica and Outside the Cinema enough. Uh, you know, my heart's with you with the passing of your uh, dog, Bill. I mean, I, I'm a big dog guy. I have three myself. I know Will has one. Uh, they, I mean, they're like, they're like, it's like having a kid almost. I mean, you really treat them like that, especially if you don't have children. And uh, I was devastated when I lost one about a year and a half ago. And uh, it is rough, but uh, it will get better. Yeah, I just want to quickly interject, Bill. Um, I tried to give you a, a phone call via Skype because I wanted to talk to you personally about it uh, instead of just sending a message, and I will still try to do that. But again, my heart does go out to you, man. I mean, uh, like Samurai said, it's tough when you lose a pet because it's part of your family, and I mean, especially when you, you've had uh, a pet as long as you had, Manny, it, it's uh, it's so ingrained in your day-to-day life that it, it is really heart-wrenching. Um, so, again, my sincerest uh, condolences for that, buddy. All right. So, on to voicemail number three. Or number trois. Yeah, or trois. There we go. <laughs> or, yeah. This uh, individual really doesn't need any introduction, so I'm just going to hit the play button here. Hey, guys, it's the hat. You know what I like most about your show? You play good music, and when you come back from a break, you turn the music off before you start talking. All these other podcasts, they put the fucking music on, and they talk for another three minutes. You can't hear a fucking word they're saying over the music, and you guys do that, and I really appreciate that. Now, the other thing I wanted to say, the movie Alligator, you said Henry Silva looks like Peter North, but can he drop a load like Peter North? Oh! (laughs) Ah, yes, the head. (laughs) <laughs> bringing it like only the head can and and to answer your question i don't know if you have an answer sammy but can he drop a load like peter north well i guess only mrs silva would know the answer to that one <laughs> yeah really I, I don't know but uh you know i've seen peter north in action i would really rather never ever see henry silva in that same situation <laughs> i don't, I don't want to see henry silva's o face ever ever 
<laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, we don't really have a moment more to add to that. That was a uh, classic voicemail. Matter of fact, that one might be a keeper for the rest of my life right there. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Another one. Hey, what's up, gang? This is Brother D from Mail Order Zombie. I just wanted to call and say, hey, congratulations. Thank you. I have listened to the first episode, and I loved it. Good stuff. It's a hell of a strong launch. I haven't seen either of the movies that you reviewed, but I listened to the whole damn show anyway, which is something I don't normally do. When it comes to shows like Cinema Diabolica, Outside the Cinema, and a few others, if they're talking about movies that I haven't seen, I, you know, I, I always listen. Just always, because the show is just entertaining as hell. And you, sirs, are entertaining as hell. Thank you. Keep up the good work. I can't wait to hear more episodes of The Gentleman's Guide. It's now in my top ten. Kick ass. Stay loose and stay safe, y'all. All right. That was Brother D from Mail Order Zombie, uh, podcast, mailorderzombie.com. Uh, very kind words from a fellow podcaster there. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I certainly agree. And I know Brother D listens to a lot of podcasts. So for him to say we're in the top 10 now, it certainly is a testament that our hard work's paying off. So we certainly appreciate that. And if any of you are, are big zombie movie fans, you can certainly check out uh, Brother Order D's podcast at mailorderzombie.com. Uh, he's also a member of the Pop Syndicate board, so we really appreciate that, and we hope you continue to enjoy the stuff that we delve into, Brother D. Yeah, hopefully he'll keep enjoying the things we jump into. Um, you know, he's pretty much got the zombie market cornered. Uh, not to say we won't ever cover a zombie movie, but uh, if you are, like Will said, if you are a big fan of zombie films, uh, I highly recommend that podcast uh, because that is what he... I mean, I think his rating system is headshots, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, He's exactly. like a one out of five headshot, or you know, a five headshots uh, scale, which is pretty cool. It's a good, it's a good scale. All right, next voicemail. What up, guys? It's Matthew Zaka. Just checking in. Um, just got through episode number two, and it was a great episode. Um, two episodes in, and no sound issues at all. That is a mighty feat, if I do say so myself. Uh, alligator. I haven't seen that since I was pretty young, and I kind of sort of remember it. Um, I kind of sort of remember liking it, so I'm going to have to check it out again. Maybe I'll throw it on my Netflix uh, sometime <laughs> tonight. And the big surprise was A Bare Sweet Life, which is a film I had never heard of. And hearing Big Willie uh, kind of compare it to and say he even likes it slightly better than the Park Chan-Wook Revenge trilogy speaks heavy volume to me, being that I'm a major Park Chan-Wook fan. Um, and Samurai sounds like he also loves it, too. And you guys called it a near masterpiece, and that means I will go home and throw that on my Amazon account and buy it today. Um, so I'm really glad you guys covered it. Uh, definitely keep the good work, and I love hearing the Asian cinema stuff, so keep going with that shit, definitely. And I'm looking forward to next week's episode, and that's all I've got for this week. You guys take it easy. Good work. Later. He uh, then called back. So. Hey, it's me again. Um, just had to say, Samurai. <clears throat> Hawaiian shirt. For real. That's... <laughs> Horrible. Um, I need to see proof on the boards. Horrible. Uh, I'm going to call you Magnum P.I. from now on. That's it. Later. Magnum P.I. from now on. That is what I'm known. Magnum Samurai, I guess. If you are going to don the Hawaiian shirt, the bar has been set. You best grow out that serious stash. 
<laughs> well, there was a time when I wore a mustache, but I don't think uh, I was wearing Hawaiian shirts at the time. And, and, the, and to be honest, the Hawaiian shirts was something that was, uh, you know, it's not like I wore them when I was, uh, you, know, you know, 10 years ago. It's, uh, you know, I wore them when I was, uh, you know, much younger. And I thought it was cool to wear a, a wife beater with a Hawaiian shirt open and walk around. And I think I had one of those necklaces with, the, you know, made out of the white shell stones Coral that you get shell. in like the, yeah, the Bahamas or something. <laughs> and, you know, I hung out and, and uh, you know, was I was nice and tan and uh, all those things. So to be honest, I was young, uh, dumb, and full of cum probably. So <laughs> it was a different time, honestly, Matt. So maybe I shouldn't have brought that up. But uh, I thought I was suave at the time. You know, we all, we all go through that phase. Everybody's got pictures, I think, where they think they were, uh, you know, they think they were the shit uh, wouldn't you agree yeah i got a t-shirt uh, a picture of me on vacation in mexico i was uh i don't know if you you're familiar with the term a gino yeah, genos are pretty much um europeans european males that listen to <laughs> house music and so forth and wear you know their boot cut jeans with their diesel t-shirts and so forth and i was a pretty big gino in high school listening to house music and all that and i got a picture of me in mexico on vacation with the white coral necklace my diesel t-shirt my hair spiky uh, sort of flexing without trying to look like I'm flexing. So yeah, we all go through that uh, that suave de boner phase. Yes, suave de boner. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so that's it for feedback. And uh, yeah, Matt, uh, I'm glad. And I hope by the time you we, you hear this episode, I know he had posted on the board that he bought a bittersweet life. Hopefully, he enjoyed it as much as me and you did. And uh, hopefully, it's in his uh, you know. His uh, rotation of films he has to watch uh, on a yearly basis because it's in my it's in my rotation now. So hopefully that's uh, something he'll quite enjoy, and I really hope he has a good time with it. I do too, and I just do want to clarify that it was actually Sammy that liked it more than any other Korean film. I still will stand by Old Boy as my favorite Korean film in a very strong batch. I mean, we're going to get to covering a lot more Korean cinema and Asian cinema in general. Um, and as much as I love A Bittersweet Life. Um, it's just a touch below Old Boy, which is no small feat in and of itself because, you know, both films are damn good. You can't go wrong either way. I mean, put them, put both their names in a hat and pick one. They're both first class. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I just happen to like A Bittersweet Life more because I just feel like it's more rewatchable. But that's not to take away from Old Boy because Old Boy's fucking great. So don't don't get me wrong there. It's still great, but I just feel like A Bittersweet Life is a film that you can watch uh, several times a year, or maybe several times a week, and you'll still get a lot of entertainment out of it. Oh boy, you can too, but it does have a twist in there, and as we go along in this podcast, you'll hear what I think of twist as we go further along. All right, so with that, then we got this. All right, so another episode has come and gone. All right, so let me go ahead and get our thanks out there and who we recommend checking out. Check out the Big Red Podcast at BigRedPodcast.com. Alyssa's show. It's a great show. You heard Alyssa at the beginning in the intro. She's got a great voice. And, she has uh, a great Oh, she does what have a great that? voice. Sorry to interrupt yeah, she got there. A great, she, no, that's fine. She's got, she got a great voice for uh, radio or anything. So make sure to check out her show, CinemaDiabolica.com. Uh, those two guys got great voice to, and uh, also great attitudes. I don't even know what the fuck that means, but whatever. Uh, check those guys out. <laughs> Uh, they're very, uh, very entertaining to say the least, uh, outside the cinema.com, uh, OTC, great show, Bill and Ryan, uh, really on a tear lately, doing a great job, uh, destroy the brain, destroy the brain online.com, Andy show, uh, you'll be hearing more from Andy even the show probably next week, uh, NLTLP, Night of the Living Podcast, NLTLP.com, uh, another great show, I highly recommend, uh, Chin Stroker versus Punter, Chin Stroker versus Punter.podomatic.com, good show. Mondo Movie, MondoMovie.com. Can't say enough about those guys. And Show Show, ShowShow.Podomatic.com. You heard a 
a uh, promo from them. Evidently, they're going to watch 31 movies in 31 days, which is just fucking insanity. So hopefully uh, hello, everything will go good. Other than that, that's hello. all I got. Uh, do you have anything to add, Will? Nothing. Okay, good. All right, so we are out. <laughs> Evidently, I think I lost Will in the uh, Skype format. So there we go. That, that The wonders of technology. All right, so... All right, guys. So I will. Uh, well, hang on a second. One second here. Hey, are you back? Yeah, you you cut off. One of us dropped. You cut off when you said they were going to watch thirty-one movies. Yeah, hey, well, I was just uh, recording and saying that uh, we lost you via Skype for the te- wonders of technology. So, but I pretty much got everything in. Is there anything you'd like to add as the music comes to an end again? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I just wanted to say that in regards to the podcasts you were talking about, they're all great shows, and no coincidence, most of them can be found on popsyndicate.com which are now going to be a part of. Uh, so it's an honor to be affili- affiliated with that group of podcasts, and I can't recommend them enough. You can find them all at popsyndicate.com, which uh, should satisfy all of your pop cultural needs, be it movies, comics, books, etc. And that's right. pretty much all I got. Yeah, and I'd like to also add that I didn't say anything about our personal info, but again, our email is midnightcinema at gmail.com. It's M-I-D-N-I-T-E at gmail, uh, cinema at gmail.com. Uh, voicemail 206-666-5207. Keep them coming in. We enjoy them. Uh, the webpage ggtmc.libsyn.com. You can get our shows over there. You can find us on iTunes now. It's searchable. We're on there. Please subscribe. Also, please vote for us on Podcast Alley. Uh, by the time you hear this, it'll be a new month. I implore you, I beg you, please vote for us. The more pe- the higher we get on that, the more people listen to the show. And uh, you know, also leave a review at iTunes if you could. Uh, more people listen to the show, and we want as many fans as possible, or as many listeners, or as many compatriots, however you want to look at it. But we just want uh, you know the community to grow and uh, be part of that unholy menage a trois that Bill was talking about. So uh, that's all I got for this week. So with that, uh, we are signing off. Later. Uh, adios.